When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, folks, I think somebody needs to tell Natchez that it's about time to post another thirst trap because the last time he did that, he went on some ridiculous scoring tear and looked like an elite player. He needs something, that's for damn sure. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Dragon Storm Podcast. I'm Brandon. That's Matt. Yes, we are praying for you, Natchez. Get your shit together. Um, so we okay, actually have two months. interviews this week. Uh, we're probably not going to talk that much about the Hurricanes, to be honest with you, because both these interviews are like over, well over 20 minutes, I believe. So, yes, we are a Carolina Hurricanes podcast. But we are mostly going to be in prospect land, which is still about the Hurricanes, so whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this is a mostly prospect land episode. Um, coming up soon, you're going to hear Matt's interview with Nathan Strauss, uh, who is a UMass commentator and has been watching Scott Morrow all season. So it's going to be a really fun interview. I was not present for that. It was over the weekend. Um, and you know how it be with the bartender hours. Um, but also... We were very excited to welcome another guest on as well, uh, this one I was present for, and that would be Carolina Hurricanes defensive prospect Ronan Seeley. Uh, we had a really good time talking with him, and as a matter of fact, we're going to start right there. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into that interview. Stick around for Nathan Strauss, and we will also give you our thoughts on the current state of the Canes after all of that. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We are here with Carolina Hurricanes prospect Ronan Seeley. Uh, Ronan, thank you so much for taking the time to jump on here and talk a little hockey with us. Yeah, no, no worries anytime. All right, good stuff. Um, so, actually, we kind of wanted to start by taking it all the way back to your, you know, pre-junior days even. Um, just a quick little Google search <laughs> to tell us you're actually from the Northwest Territories. Um, yeah. And especially people down in the U.S., normally don't know a whole lot about the Northwest Territories. I have step family up in the Yukon and I still don't know really anything about those Northern lands. So um, yeah. you talk to us a little bit about where you're from and, and also how you got into hockey uh, when you were younger. Sure. Yeah. Well, I actually don't really know much about the Northwest Territories either. I was born there, but I was only there for about a year. And then uh, my family moved to Olds where I'm at now. Uh, so yeah, my dad, he, uh, he grew up playing hockey, he played a little bit of pro and in, in Europe and whatnot. So he got me started right from a young age at two years old in my backyard. So, uh, it's kind of been growing since then. <laughs> you mentioned that your dad played junior hockey and he also played some pro hockey and then your brother also got drafted this past summer. So, um, you know, what kind of impact have they had on you? And now is there a little bit of a sibling rivalry to see like, you know just who makes it yeah you know yeah I mean I guess so uh I don't really see it that way maybe he does he's trying to do what I have done I guess a little bit um I don't know. I always the little brother's always like, looking up to the big brother right yeah exactly exactly I, <laughs> I look at him as my younger brother so I can always beat him up no matter what he's almost bigger <laughs> than now actually which is crazy but yeah I mean for him I guess it's uh it's a little different right all right well we'll move forward um Let's go to your draft day. Um, talk about what the experience was like. Were you in contact with a lot of teams? And did you have any indication that you thought the Hurricanes were going to draft you or were thinking of it or whatever the case was? Yeah. Uh, so that draft, I had quite a few teams, probably 20 teams reach out one way or another. And then kind of COVID happened and all the talks kind of, I don't know, stopped a little bit. 
uh, with all the uncertainty. And then uh, draft day came around. I actually can't remember if Carolina even sent me a questionnaire if I talked to them. I don't think they did. Um, but yeah, draft day was pretty tough for me. It was uh, they. I was kind of expected anywhere in the third to fifth round kind of thing, and then fifth round came and passed. And uh, I actually decided to go golfing to get my mind off of it. <laughs> And uh, I got the call that I got drafted when I was on the 10th hole. Um, so, yeah, that was a pretty tough day for me. But, yeah, I mean, not that guy must now. Have been though. Uh, no, I had to stop because my phone was going to oh. die because I was getting called by everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I played a pretty few good pretty holes. But uh, other than that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, was, it was all right. Uh, it's a long day. So, you know, obviously we're bringing it forward a year and, you know, you're signing your entry-level contract with the Carolina Hurricanes right after the rookie camp in Tampa. So, you know, were you expecting that contract to come so soon? And, you know, what, what led up to that? Uh, I didn't really try and keep my hopes up for anything. I was just trying to play hockey and kind of show them who I was. And obviously I was pretty happy with the outcome, but um, I was honestly expecting maybe a signing about this time now this year. Uh, I don't know. That's kind of what my agent was thinking and what my dad was thinking. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really know how it led up. Like my agent said that they've been talking about contracts for a few days right before I was going to leave Carolina. And uh, then he said, yeah, the contract's good. So go sign it in the morning. And that was a good day. <laughs> For sure. And, you know, we were talking about it at the time. I, I don't remember ever seeing a seventh round pick sign within the first year of being drafted. So it's got to at least to some degree be kind of cool to see that the organization has that level of faith in you. You know, normally it's a couple of years. They see how you develop, but obviously the Hurricanes see a lot they like. And uh, here we are. Um, yeah. And in that vein, you know. Well, we started watching you a lot, but surely there's lots of Hurricanes fans around here that will listen to the podcast that don't know too much about you. So how about in your own words, just, just explain what kind of player you are on the ice. Yeah, I'm a pretty simple player in, in my mind. Uh, I'm a two-way defenseman uh, that breaks pucks out really well, and I'm a smooth skater, and uh, I like to get up the ice. And I think I consider myself more of a modern defenseman that can um, play in any any style of game that you want. So. Um, that's how I describe myself. I think that's what Carolina sees in me too. And that's why they're um, putting their trust in me. So, yeah. The, the biggest, some, one of the biggest things that people mention when, you know, they talk about you as a player is that you're, you're a great skater. And is that something that you always had, or, you know, is it something that you and maybe your dad or conditioning coaches kind of worked at throughout your career? Yeah, uh, that's something I, I was always, my dad was huge on, uh, right from a young age was my skating and my ankle strength and, and all that. And he's, my dad for sure is the reason I'm such a good skater. And, uh, we, he asked, he has a skating, like a skills company called edge boss. And I kind of grew up on that stuff and it's really turned me into the skater I am and which obviously helps me excel at this level and hopefully at the next one too. Um, but yeah, it's always been huge, huge part of my off ice um, training and, and then on ice in the summer too. It's, it's a big part of my regimen. So this has been a really big year for you, obviously. Um, you're scoring at nearly a point of game pace. You actually have more goals this season than your first three seasons combined, which in fairness, one of those seasons was like 20 games because of COVID. So <laughs> yeah. that's a little sad on that one. But this has had to have been a whirlwind of a year for you between, you know, you kind of started off as a pretty under the radar guy. And then in, next thing you know, we see you playing on the top pairing for team Canada at the world juniors alongside Owen power. So why don't you just talk about what your progression has been like in the last couple of years and where you feel like your game's at now? Yeah, it's, it's been a roller coaster for sure. I mean, personally, I've always seen myself as a player I am today. Uh, I've always had confidence in myself and I don't think I've really changed my game too much in the last few years. I've just been getting more opportunity here. And I've been performing well. So, uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's kind of crazy to think about I mean, world juniors and going from bottom pair to top pair, all that. It's, uh, it's pretty special. I can't, words can't really describe it. I wish that we got a chance to finish it off, but um, that is what it is. But, yeah, it's crazy to think about. I'm more excited that 
my dad, all my dad's, my family's hard work is kind of paying off and all the sacrifices made. It's, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a long road, but I'm not there yet, but getting closer. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> you know, we've had the opportunity to see you in a variety of roles with Everett this year. You, you know, you've had time with, uh, I think Johnny Lambos, you've played in a, with a couple different people as well getting both power play and PK minutes this year. So what do you feel like you've improved on the most? And I guess, what have you noticed? Uh, I, I guess, what's the biggest challenge about that extra responsibility? Uh, I feel like I've improved most in my own zone. Uh, like I've, I started out when I was 16. I was very, not poor defensively, but I was a lot smaller and it was hard to contain guys. And I feel like I've been able to, um, defend guys really well especially the top players and that kind of comes with the what's the hardest part is defending the top lines and night in and night out it's uh it's kind of a grind and uh, it's been a big adjustment for me this year uh playing against top lines every night it's 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 tough but it's what's going to happen in pro too so i have to get used to it um but uh and speaking of playing against the top lines how happy are you that seth jarvis isn't playing against you this year (laughs) Oh my goodness. Portland's on a tear right now too. I can't imagine if they had Jarvis. <laughs> right. He he would have 60 goals already. <laughs> that guy's nuts. <laughs> yeah, he seems pretty happy in Carolina and uh, we're we're pretty glad to have him here. Yeah. See a little yeah. bit of a wall, but everybody hits that rookie wall just about. So oh, yeah. it happens. He's a good guy, um, he'll get out of it. Yeah, he will. He will. He's he's still playing pretty well. It's just the points are really the only thing that's dried up. And, you know, production ebbs and flows in the NHL sometimes, especially for a young kid. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is the last, like, I mean, <laughs> we kind of have it separated into, like, serious questions and then, like, fun, just for fun questions. So this one's really not yeah. even that serious either. But you know, <laughs> this is the last serious question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, and it's, what's the biggest thing you need to work on before you get to the NHL in your mind? Uh, biggest thing I need to, well, that's a tough one. Personally, I think I play a pretty like pro game. If you want to say it like that, I think my defending has been pretty good, but, uh, just overall, I just need more consistency and I need to get pucks through better on the blue line. Uh, I need to find, find ways to create more offense. I've seen that I've been getting pucks blocked and not really creating much, which I think I need to improve on at the next level. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty happy with my game. I just need to always never be satisfied kind of thing. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so now, uh, like, like Brandon said, we're in the fun questions when, you know, okay. it's just kind of getting to know Ronan Seeley as a person and, you know, uh-huh. not as the hockey robot we see on the ice. You know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah. first is, you know, like, out of any NHL team, doesn't matter who, we're not going to judge you for which team, but who is your favorite player to watch? To watch? It used to be like Duncan Keith in his prime years. He's good. Yeah. Well, he's still good. I mean, he's still a solid player, but uh, that's kind of who I modeled my game after when I was younger. Um, but I mean, yeah, with Connor McDavid, even though he's a forward, like he's still fun to watch. It's incredible. You know, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Uh, watching Except him. when he's playing the Canes and Jacob Slavin anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I do think it's crazy that Slavin shut him down the way he has. But anyway, we won't get off topic for like he's still a point <laughs> game player against the Canes. <laughs> Seriously. Um, and how often do you watch the Hurricanes, actually? Uh, I, at the start of the year, I watch them like almost every every game. Uh, I just kind of dropped off that as their schedule got busier here, but I mean, sure. I watch as much as I can. Uh, All right, so try and get to know the team a little bit. Oh, my bad. Uh, no, go ahead. I was done. <laughs> okay. I was going to say it's the same question, but for the Hurricanes, like who do you enjoy watching the most? Or is there anybody that maybe you try to pick pieces for, of their game from? I think it's best to like look at everyone and see what they do as a team and try to pick up what um, like everyone's doing and see if sure. there's any themes that I can pick up on, you know. But I mean, Slava and all those guys are really good and fun to watch. Like they're all, they all have things that I can add to my game. So uh, just kind of a collective 
learning experience. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, is, you can definitely do worse than trying to pick things from the Hurricanes blue line. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> a couple of years ago, we were obviously affiliated with Charlotte in the AHL, and they let players yeah. pick their own goal songs. And I thought it was the best idea ever. So you already know what's coming. I can see you looking, uh, I, thinking already. But what would your goal song be? It's a tough one. I'm not a huge like music off the top of my head guy, so this is tough. So you do not have the aux cord in the locker room. Got it. Oh, definitely not. No, <laughs> I have my own aux cord, and that's it. Someone's in my car. They're taking the aux cord. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe. Maybe something like Mr. Clean by Young Gravy. <laughs> Don't get you like that. <laughs> That's a good Mr. One. <laughs> Clean by Young Gravy. Yeah. I've never heard of that artist or song in my you life. You've never so? heard of Young Gravy? No. <laughs> <laughs> I have not. Uh, he was yeah. he was in Raleigh or Chapel Hill like recently. I'm guessing he's a rapper. He? I don't yeah. even know what he is, honestly. He's yeah, he's a rapper, I guess. I'd call him like a joke rapper. Yeah. Okay. All right, yeah, Mr. Clean by Young Gravy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, go listen to it after. I feel like that'd be pretty good after a goal. <laughs> All right, uh, I'll, yeah. we'll definitely have to check that one out. Maybe we'll play it in the yeah. outdoor or something. Well, no, we can't do that. No, we can't do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brandon, go ahead All with right. the storm surge question. <laughs> well, you thought that one was tricky. Now I'm worried this one's going to be even harder. Oh, shit. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Hypothetically, let's say you were yeah. in the NHL today. Yeah. After practice, Jordan Stahl and Jordan Martinuk and Sebastian Ajo and Jacob Slavin, the Hurricanes' captaincy corps, corners you in yeah. the locker room. And they say, look, Ronan, it's your turn. You have to pick the next storm surge. <laughs> What's it going to be? Are you serious? <laughs> uh... <laughs> See, I thought it was a stupid question. I thought it would be kind of funny to ask. <laughs> this would be funny, yeah. Uh... Uh, what do they know? Do they do like the same one every night? I don't even watch. It's those just, well, that, now it's just a half-ass salute and it sucks. See, and that's oh, really? part of why I asked this question. Cause there's actually a lot of conversation going around right now about, well, they yeah. haven't done anything for, like, yeah. have they done anything all year? I haven't seen anything on like NHL app or anything. Cause they I usually they post it all the time. They the did first... the race between uh, Stevie and Jarvis. Jarvis. And for then for NASCAR day. And then they did a lightsaber fight for Star Wars night. And that was it. There's been so nothing the theme, exciting. Right, right. On the theme nights, they've done something. But other than that, it's just been the salute of Sunrise. So we've been talking about it. They need something else. Now's your time to shine. <laughs> Have they done like bowling or anything where a guy just like hauls into like seven guys? I think they did do that, actually. Did they? They did, did they it think? where Williams bowled his helmet down. That was one of right. the And there was pins ones. set up. Oh, well, oh, no, okay. it was the, the players were the pins, but it's significantly less dangerous. Oh, yeah, you're uh, right. Then a guy, I guess, going full speed. That's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. a bad luck. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. I can't really think of anything creative. We can say we can say bowling again. Like you would do yeah. a bowling one. That's fair. Yeah, sure. We're yeah, not gonna, we're not going to be that. like hard asses about this. Right. Okay. Yeah, bowling would be good. They're just like a dance up or something. Get guys doing the gritty up and down the ice. Yes. <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. That'd get people's attention, anyways. <laughs> See, we need him in the locker room right now. He's already bringing fresh ideas. <laughs> and I was gonna say, I was gonna say, I, I, it would kill me to see these like white bread people <laughs> trying to do the gritty up and down the ice. Oh, on skates, I feel like it'd be easier though. Uh, I, I, you know scared, what? I guess you know? that's true. But you know, like yeah. Svetch would like kill, it. and Jarvis would too. I guarantee it. <laughs> uh, I can see all the, the younger kids would. Just I, don't, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what Jarvis. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't know about that one. <laughs> I mean, he tries hardest. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so the last, the last thing we have for you um, yeah. is, you know, is there anything else that we missed uh, about Ronan Seeley as a person that you're like, you know, what people should know this? Any hobbies? Uh, anything we're missing? Not a lot, really. I have a big family. I guess I don't know if you guys knew that. It's five of kids. We all played hockey. <laughs> Pretty crazy life. Um, you know, it's kind of, I think, why I'm so appreciative of where I am today. It's like, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, I'm pretty blessed to be here and grow up with the family I had. And I don't know. There's nothing really, nothing special like that, I don't think. Are you the oldest? No, I got an older sister. Okay. They're coming down this weekend, actually. It's family weekend. So I got two sisters and my mom coming down. 
Nice. So, yeah, I haven't seen him in a while. But, yeah. Well, Ronan, we really appreciate it. Uh, I know, obviously, yeah, no. it's starting to get to the grind of the season. Um, and yeah. best of luck in the playoffs. We're, we're rooting Thank for you. you. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll be watching. Uh, keep up the great work. Sounds we're good. excited to see you down in Carolina, too. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Good luck, buddy. Huge thanks again to Ronan Seeley for jumping on with us. We had a lot of fun talking to him. Uh, before we jump into the second leg with Nathan Strauss, Tracking the Storm is a proud part of the Hockey Podcast Network. So we're going to take a second and get a quick word from DraftKings. Basketball fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill dunk good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, bet just $1 on any NBA team to win, and get $150 in free bets when they do. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 and up. Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee Red Line at 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text Hope New York at 467-369. And folks, we are joined by Nathan Strauss of UMass Broadcasting. How are you doing today, Nathan? I am doing fantastic. It's sunny out. The snow is melting a little bit. And of course, uh, here to talk some Canes prospects. So thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. So first, why don't you get us kind of started and, you know, talk about your background a little bit, maybe your road to not only UMass, but covering them in the broadcast booth. Yeah. So when I arrived at UMass uh, three years ago, I knew that there's a pretty robust uh, student broadcasting uh, club or, or student radio here. Um, and I joined right away. And within three weeks of arriving at UMass, I, I joined the Hockey Beat. And uh, obviously the, that season ended up being the COVID season. So UMass was, was likely going to end up in that sort of two seed for the NCAA tournament that year. It didn't end up happening. Um, but I've stayed on the Hockey Beat. Uh, since arriving at UMass, I've so I actually I grew up in Boston, um, which obviously has so much D1 hockey talent. Uh, I grew up going to mostly BU games, actually, um, and I knew that I was going to have the chance to broadcast UMass hockey when I came to UMass as a sophomore after after transferring in. Um, you know, this is a team that had just lost Kale McCarr. They were certainly on the up and up, and of course, you know, last year I got to see a national championship. Um, for for the Minutemen. So UMass has a pretty robust tradition of student broadcasting. Um, I've been fortunate to call games for both student radio, but also the professional um, contract Learfield Radio this year. Um, and it's just great to be able to be around a program that produces high-end guys um, in terms of both where they end up going to play, but also, I think, importantly, uh, character in general. Yeah, totally. And I mean, it's been pretty much nothing but success since you started there. So that's obviously got to help, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think about where UMass was about 10 years ago. Uh, you know, this is really a, an era of unprecedented success for, for UMass hockey. And it's fantastic too, because when you think about the blue blood hockey programs of the Northeast, you think of a Boston university or a Boston college, or, you know, even teams like Maine, which right now are struggling and UVM right, right now they're struggling, but these are programs that have produced, you know, some of the best players in the last 20 years of the NHL. So it's great to be at UMass right now in a time where this is a state school, right? This is a state school that's producing these guys from all over the country. I mean, from all over Canada as well. And, um, you know, uh, it, it's sort of flipping the script a little bit on, on who has been the dominant force in, in hockey East and in the NCAA. So I'm a, I definitely agree that it, it's good to be there at a time uh, of success. Yeah. I was going to say Boston college. I mean, we, I've been following them since I think 2016 or 2017, I want to say, cause David Cotton was there and they've sucked for the past like five ish years. 
Yeah, I, there's a there's a pretty big rivalry between UMass and BC, um, both in all sports, but especially for hockey. Um, UMass has had John Leonard from Amherst, who now plays for the Sharks and the Barracuda. BC has a commit from uh, National Team Development Program kid, Ryan Leonard, John's little brother, who grew up in Amherst. So there's there's always a battle right there. The thing about college hockey is it's so cyclical because you never know who could step up and make a jump from, you know, the USHL and become a huge impact. I mean, David Cotton's a good example of that. Like you're talking about a guy who really grew into his role over the course of four years. Um, and, you know, he ended up putting up some, some really gaudy numbers uh, at BC and obviously his brother too at Sacred Heart um, did, or I think they're, were they twins at Sacred Heart? Um, Cause there was David, no. there was Jason, right? They were, he's a year or two older. I want to say yeah, they both they both did great things over the course of four years. I think a lot of times programs like BC, BU rely a little bit more heavily on the Trevor Zegerses, the the Jack Eichels, uh, you know, guys who stay for one or two years, but are just not too good, but too promising for their NHL teams to to leave at the college level. So UMass is doing things a little bit differently, and I think uh, it, it's certainly a different route for success at this level. And I'd argue the same with another school in hockey East Northeastern. They have a similar strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think Northeastern benefits from being a beanpot school. They obviously, um, you know, as a private institution, have a little bit more when it comes to the resources and obviously their location, um, you know, on Huntington Ave in Boston is a, is a great spot as well. I'm personally not a huge fan of Matthews Arena. It's known for being the oldest barn in the country. I think it's actually the second oldest, um, but um, you know, they, they underwent a, a program change with, with former head coach uh, Jim Madigan now taking over as their AD um, and, and his longtime associate head coach, Jerry Keefe, taking over at the reins. So, yeah, it's always a good battle when those teams play. And uh, honestly, the stronger Hockey East is as a whole, the better it is for, for UMass and the country. So for all the talk about rivalry, um, what I really want to see is just more top end talent, uh, you know, in, uh, in the conference. Yeah, totally. And I mean, for, for any listener that hasn't really checked out any college games, I would highly recommend it. The hockey's fun. The atmosphere is great. They have bands in the arena a lot of the time, which is always just a hit. I love that. Um, I wish more, I, I wish the NHL was more fun, like Vegas, you know, they have all that stuff. I feel like Vegas has a very college hockey atmosphere in a good way. Oh, absolutely. I think Vegas, um, you, maybe Nashville as well is a, is another good example. Um, it's great too, because college hockey is slowly beginning to expand the same way the NHL expanded in the nineties and the early two thousands, where you've got teams like Arizona state, which now are getting um, like a brand new hundred million dollar barn in Tempe, Arizona. Um, if programs are considering expansion, uh, you know, maybe in the South, you obviously have some programs that are unfortunately falling um, out of existence by, by virtue of, of a number of factors, but the more college hockey expands, the better. Uh, UMass has uh, players from uh, Missouri, which is, you know, becoming more of a hockey hotbed as well. Um, Cause functionally the more of the country and the more types of people who are able to play hockey, the better it is for the sport. So traditionally underserved communities getting access to rinks. That's fantastic. You never know where players are going to come from and college hockey and even the expansion of like the NAHL to like Shreveport, Louisiana. That's know, great. Yeah. Like spread, like spread the game. Right. Yeah. And I think I want to say there's still a school. I think it's the first HBCU to ever have a division one hockey team. I think it's coming, I think next season in the Nashville area. Yeah. I believe, I think it's Tennessee state uh, or Kennesaw yeah, I think state. That's what it, is. Uh, it might be, it might be Kennesaw state, but I, I definitely saw that. And I think that's, it's fantastic for the game. And frankly, even if you look at like the ACHA level, which is like the, the club, the highest club level, like division one in the ACHA guys leave that and go play in like the FPHL or the ECHL. So it's not, it, it's more fluid than you would think. Right. And, and even though the NCAA produces 75% of American born uh, NHL talent, the guys who don't make it to the NHL level are still pretty darn good hockey players um, and end up, oftentimes being able to carve out a career um, in the AHL or in the coast, or they go back into coaching. So it's, it's good for the game all around. Absolutely. 
And so, you know, bringing it back to UMass, I, I think, you know, the, the, the biggest question on everybody's mind this year is, you know, when is Scott Morrow coming to the NHL? How good is Scott Morrow? You know, it's pretty much all I get nowadays. So, you know, as somebody who's maybe had more of a in-person look at Morrow this year, what can you t- tell us about him? So this is actually really interesting for me because I actually broke the news that he was transferred, that he flipped his commitment from uh, North Dakota to UMass. I heard it from a couple of people um, in and around the hockey community. And because I really try hard not to step on anyone's toes, um, because again, I'm just a student and I really respect and appreciate UMass athletics and UMass hockey for giving me opportunities. um, I wanted to make sure that it was completely factually sourced because it's the kind of personal decision that I think um, you know, deserves uh, respect. So when we're talking about Scott Morrow, he's a kid who played five or six games at the USHL level, right? Like he was a almost a two point per game player playing for a dominant Shattuck St. Mary's team, had a commit to UND because of the COVID year and because of certain guys sticking around, they wanted to push him another year um, in the USHL. He felt like he was ready. Um, I think he was ready uh, based on what we've seen so far. So when we're talking about Scott Moore, we're talking about a guy who basically played himself up from being a third to fifth round pick to being, you know, the 40th overall pick in last year's draft. He's a, a young 19. He just turned 19. This is his draft plus one year um, in November. And he has been basically the best player on the back end for UMass this season when it comes to, to putting up points. He's got 28 points in 30 games. Uh, he sees a lot of time on ice. They have in the last half of the season, they've had him paired up oftentimes with Ty Farmer, who is a, a pretty mobile uh, two-way defenseman, but who contributes a little bit more in the defensive areas. Um, but the first thing that jumps out about Scott Morrow is his chance creation and his vision. He's got excellent edge work, um, but most importantly, he's got the vision to create plays that other guys just do not see. Um, his puck retention is excellent. He is capable of activating high and uh, pretty much taking over the offensive zone. He's had a couple of shifts this year where he has, you know, the video of Kirill Kaprizov where he uh, takes the puck from basically right inside the red line, carries it around the goal twice, like wheels all the way around and then sets up someone on the doorstep. He's done that like two or three times as a 18, 19 year old defenseman. So his shot is great uh, in general his offense is there and it's only going to get better. Um, And it's just ridiculous. The numbers he puts up, I think you saw that post from uh, elite prospects using the instat data where his chance creation is like, he has a Z score of like plus three. So he's like, he's literally setting the bar for offensive defensemen in the NCAA. Which, which is impressive because I mean, you've got Owen power who obviously was drafted first overall, but also, you know, he played in the NCAA last year. And then there's guys like, you know, Jake Sanderson, another high pick. And so it's impressive because you now have arguably one of the best prospects in the Kane system, um, but also just one of the best offensive defensemen in the United States right now. And that's really cool to see. Um, I did also want to bring up, you know, defensively, we know Morrow has his, issues and I think in that post it was saying you know he loses a lot of puck battles um turnovers can be a bit of an issue so you know what sort of areas of growth have you seen and what does he still need to do to kind of get to at least being average defensively so I would say that it's not necessarily about being average defensively it's more about the situations that he gets used in so he oftentimes I mean he quarterbacks the power play along with Ryan Ufko uh, a Predators prospect. UMass goes 2D, three forwards. Um, in a, it's been a very good power play this year. Um, a lot of times, Scott Morrow is given the freedom to pinch high and try and win the puck in the offensive zone and sort of keep in at the blue line. And a lot of his biggest mistakes or goals that UMass has led up when he's been on the ice has been more of a byproduct of odd man rushes when he tries to make a play in the offensive zone than a defensive breakdown per se. So, you know, Carvel tries to get him on the ice, obviously, for shifts that start in the O-zone. And I think a lot of this will come with another year of strength and conditioning. You're talking about a guy who, you know, came to UMass in the summer um, as an 18-year-old. He's 6'2", 194. 
um, I think he can probably put on some more weight and strength and, and UMass makes it a point of really getting after it in the summer. I know college hockey programs put a lot of emphasis on that too. And, and we'll talk about this when it comes to Lucas Mercury as well. Cause I actually asked Greg Carville about that this week, but um, there isn't a particular defensive attribute that I think he needs to work on most. I think it's just all around the decision-making, the, um, the, the, the lower body strength and recognizing that sometimes when you have an incredibly talented offensive defenseman, they're going to get caught high up the ice because that's the risk reward that you, uh, that you take on when you are a, uh, when you are creating at that kind of a uh, pace in the ozone. Yeah, totally. And I think also part of it is, you know, he came from the high school ranks and, you know, I tried to explain it this week, you know, there, there's the high school ranks, which are, you know, on a tier list, probably down here. And then, USHL is a solid step up from that. And then there's the NCAA, which is a lot higher. So, I mean, he basically bypassed one whole tier of hockey. And so, you know, some of these struggles are probably, you know, just kind of growing pains. Yeah. And th- I think it was a really good example of that was the opening weekend. UMass had the banner raising ceremony in a packed Mullen Center against Minnesota State, um, who have been one of the best teams in college hockey over the last five years and have been excellent this year. Minnesota State, like UMass, has a lot of older talent. You're talking about less blue chip guys and more guys like Nathan Smith, a Jets prospect, who, um, you know, guys who are in their 21, 22, 23 year range. And he's an 18 year old uh, making that jump up. At the beginning of the season, I asked if there were any concerns about Scott Morrow jumping right in. Um, and Greg Carville basically said it's all mental. Physically, he's 6'2, he can, he can bang around, uh, you know, but. I think it's hard when you've got guys who have four or five more years of playing experience. Um, there's a mental level that I think he is caught up to pretty quickly. And it's not just the case for Morrow. It's the case for pretty much everyone who jumps right in. Um, but there was certainly a little bit of trial by fire. Uh, and um, that, that has definitely uh, steadily improved. And obviously like the static St. Mary's program and the top levels of like SAC, the top levels of like prep hockey in the country are, very good and and definitely a tier above like high school hockey um bobby trevino umass's captain and uh, a hobie baker long list guy who just hit his hundredth uh he just hit his 40th point of the season last night actually he's another guy who came from shattuck they produce uh folks at a crazy rate um so definitely could understand why if you're a program like und and you have jake sanderson returning and you have all these guys who have x amount of experience returning you you could say like hey you know, play your year 19 year in the USHL and, you know, come in and be a one and done or whatever next year. But um, I know you want to ask about how long you think he will be at UMass. And I can sort of segue right into that if, if, if that's okay with you. Yeah, totally. So UMass obviously has sort of set the gold standard when it comes to uh, what an offensive defenseman can do at the NCAA level, looking back at Kale McCarr's season a few years ago and his, his two-year UMass career. The biggest thing that you notice when you look at Kale's numbers from year one to year two is that he was stellar in year one and he was unequivocally dominant in year two. And I'm not saying that Scott Morrow is Kale McCarr. There's a difference between being the fourth overall pick and being the 40th overall pick. They're both mercurial talents. And I think Scott Morrow um, has the potential to be really good at the NHL level. But the best way that he can get there is to take another year um, at UMass. UMass does not do one and dones. Um, Greg Carville is known for being a developer of talent. I think UMass was named the best developmental program at the NCAA level at the beginning of this season by SI Hockey. And that's something they really pride themselves on. For me, it sort of depends like, okay, do the Canes re-sign Tony D'Angelo after this year? Or has he priced himself out of an extension and do they not want to continue the sort of uh, discursive um, press that he brings for better or for worse. I, sorry, for worse, uh, to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there are, the Canes have just an absurd amount of prospects as well. And so if I'm Scott Morrow and I'm thinking, look, I'm 19 years old, going to be playing my, I'm going to turn 20 at the beginning of next year. Would I rather just play out that season you know, sign in sign an ATO in Chicago after my sophomore year, finish out the year there, and then jump right into training camp. Then, as a as a more developed player, absolutely, I would. Right, you've got a chance to get 
20 minutes, 25 minutes of ice time a night at the NCAA level in a competitive conference, I have to think that's better as a 19 and 20 year old than skating second or third pair in the AHL. And I, I mean, maybe, maybe the Canes see him and think, okay, he's good enough right now to slot in on my bottom six, but like, Who's he taking out of like Ian Cole? Like, I don't know. I, I just don't really know like what the, the cost, the, the risk reward is there. And I, it's so important as you saw with Bach, right? You, you want to, you want guys who are developing and learning and whether or not they could be learning slightly more with less in the AHL. I would much rather have, if I'm, you know, the director of player development in Carolina, Greg Carville is like renowned for this kind of stuff. Let him stay another year. Maybe oh, yeah. even another, maybe even a year after that, your window right now. And I say this as someone who's a Bruins fan, the Carolina window right now is so wide open. You've got a team that is incredibly young with high end prospects who are also incredibly young. Um, you know what? It's a top 10 system, according to Scott Wheeler. So yeah, we, I say we were ninth. And then, I mean, we also have to consider, you know, there's Dom Fensori, who's a right. junior this year, somebody who plays on the left side and, is another offensive defenseman and one of the better transition defensemen in the NCAA this year. So if the Canes sign him after his junior year, it might even give Morrow more of an incentive to stay at UMass. Yeah. And also I, I've seen Dom Fensori play a lot because he plays at BU and they are, they have very different skill sets because Scott Morrow is the kind of dominant skater where it's like watching um, at times a Kale McCarr. Or a Roman Yossi, where it's just like the puck moves through him and he is able to create against all types of systems just based on like his vision and his, I guess, I hate the phrase hockey IQ because it doesn't mean anything, but like the hockey IQ, (laughs) the offensive zone is there. And I think the, I think like, look, his value is not going to go anywhere but up. And if he, if he produces at the same level, or even if the offensive numbers dip a little bit next year, he's the Canes are still going to sign him, yeah. you know, like, like the, the ELC is going to be there no matter what. And I think I would be stunned if he leaves after this year, personally. Me too. I think with just given the Canes depth and everything, I think there's, there's no reason to, um, but then again, I, I always say stuff like this and then I'm proved wrong by the team. So, you know. Yeah, because I mean, the only situation that I could see him signing for is if, you know, Brendan Moore is like, oh, he's coming into our lineup in the playoffs. And I just don't think he's there yet. No offense to him, but like, why, like that, like, do you really want to forego three years or two extra years at UMass to be a black ace? And then like, it, it's a very different lifestyle and he's got great facilities here, great levels of competition um, and a really good development and coaching staff. So I, I guess we can wait and see. And obviously it's, it's not like I have any um, sort of stake in the matter. I, I want all players to do what's best for them because yeah. different, different, like Jack LaFontaine, I, I applauded that decision. Like you want, I want people to do what's best for them. It's your right as an athlete to, to pursue what you think is best. I, I personally think that he could definitely benefit from another year at this level. Totally. I agree. So I think a player that, really not many people in the hurricane system know about is uh, Lucas Mercury, partially because I think he was a sixth round pick in a 2020 draft that lasted by my calculations, like three days. And then, you know, partially just because he spent last year in the USHL and now he's playing, you know, up until last night, mostly bottom six minutes uh, for UMass. So could you talk about, first of all, what type of player he is and how his season has progressed? Yeah, so Mercury uh, comes from a hockey family. His dad played in the queue. Um, he played uh, prep hockey at Salisbury a couple of years um, before. Uh, that's in Connecticut, I believe, before making the jump to, uh, to Des Moines in the USHL. He's a, a really big body. So you, you notice that first and foremost. He's listed at 6'3", but it's, like a, it's a big 6'3". Um, he is good on the dot. He gets himself to the front of the net. Uh, and I think he has potential to develop into a really promising two-way player, especially, um, you know, when his, when he gets stronger as well. Um, he's progressed really nicely. He's gotten in and amongst the goals. He's got five goals, I think, and, and maybe seven or eight assists now over the course of, of this season. And for a guy who is playing largely as the fourth or third line center this year, 
those are pretty good numbers. I think there are a lot of really encouraging things that he does. Um, and he's a, 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 I, he's a prototypical Greg Carville UMass player in that he's got the raw talent and the skill set, but you know that he is going to get better. And by the time he's 21 or 22, will be a real force. Um, so for a player who was drafted in the sixth round to be playing where he is now, and I think you saw it last night as he got bumped up to the second line, I think that's a real testament uh, of his work ethic. And when I asked Greg Carvel um, about his progress this week, he said he needs to get stronger, uh, especially lower body strength this summer, but that uh, he's a really good kid. He's got a great attitude uh, and that the future is bright. Yeah. And I mean, as we've seen with, with the Canes, they love taking these prep school kids, at least one every draft. Um, and it's, it's nice because a lot of them take, you know, that extra year in the USHL, right. Or, you know, whichever junior league they're going to go to, and then they come to the NCAA and what's great about Mercury is he could play another three years. And by the end of that time, he could be physically ready for an NHL job immediately. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, that's absolutely correct. I think a lot of times you find guys that have success as older NCAA players, and they're able to jump right into either a top six role uh, in the AHL or immediately start grinding it out, um, you know, in the bottom six of an NHL team. And I don't know where Lucas Mercury's ceiling is because players can develop so, so drastically depending on conditioning and depending on who they're playing with and how the team does, but he's got the frame for it. And he's definitely got the, uh, the puck skills and particularly the, the, I guess like the positional wherewithal, like he gets himself into really good positions. Um, like, I think he will end up being able to make that jump someday. Uh, and he's a, a player who I think could put up really good numbers for UMass, especially, excuse me, you know, the longer he stays. Totally. So, you know, that's, I think all we, uh, I, I guess I, I was going to say we, but Brandon is not here this week. Um, so that, that's all we got. But right now, you know, is the opportunity for you to just kind of share what's going on with you, what you're doing, what you're up to, any big projects, anything like that. So it's a busy week for me personally. Uh, I also do UMass Women's Basketball broadcast on the radio, and uh, they are about to play in the A-10 championship this week. Uh, they are a top four seed, so uh, the, the odds are good. They, they uh, are a great team, and I'm going to be down in Wilmington, Delaware this coming week to, to call those games on Friday, Saturday, and hopefully Sunday. Um, but elsewhere I'm a senior, I'm about to graduate. So it's a, uh, it's a scary and unnerving time um, because I, the possibilities are both limitless, but also not necessarily uh, present and uh, a sure thing. So I'm just trying to take things one step at a time, uh, get the proverbial pucks in deep. Uh, if you will, and uh, just keep sort of going about my business. And obviously after the women's basketball tournament, there will be uh, the hockey East tournament uh, the following week. And then, uh, you know, follow the following 10 days really. And then hopefully um, I'll be able to call an NCAA tournament game uh, from TD garden or uh, wherever the regionals are. So I'm just trying to enjoy the last couple of months of this while I can. Um, I love UMass and I've loved my time here and it's a, uh, it's a very hard place for me to say goodbye to and I hope it's not a, a permanent goodbye. So I'm, I'm really just trying to, uh, you know, play my game, hit my systems, uh, <laughs> get pucks in deep, as I said. <laughs> play, play a full 60 minutes. Yeah, play a full 60 minutes, play for each other. Um, you know, all the cliches. <laughs> and um, I, I'm sure that uh, there will be success. And, and unfortunately, I'm surrounded by great people. And uh, also just want to shout out Jillian Jacuba, UMass's SID, because She's the one who arranges so much of the, or all of Hawk, all of UMass's media and social content. And she does such an amazing job and has been super helpful to me and all the other student journalists as well. Like, can you imagine a situation? I could never have imagined a situation where, you know, having no experience in a, with journalism, I walk in on day one, my sophomore year to a former NHL assistant head coach and, you know, soon to be national champion and Greg Carvel and just am able to ask questions. And it's not without the ability to fail because, uh, you know, sometimes you ask bad questions and, and you'll get a good response or a bad response. Like, but, but the ability to develop relationships with coaches and with players, but particularly coaches, I think is um, something very, very unique to UMass or certainly like this program. And uh, I'm very appreciative of that. Even if Greg Carvel once called me out for wearing quote Fortnite headphones on a Zoom. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
<laughs> well, Nathan, we appreciate you. Good luck tonight. I know that you're you're about to go and do a broadcast. Good luck for the uh, A10 championships, and hopefully, we'll get to see Scott Morrow and Lucas Mercury raise a national championship for UMass this year. That's the dream, and uh, best of luck. And, and thank you for thank you for having me. Uh, I guess what's what do they say? Go Canes! Storm warning. Hashtag take warning. I don't know what those uh, are. We always say it's a great time to be a Carolina Hurricanes fan. It's a great time to be a Carolina Hurricanes fan. There we go. That's our that's our thing. We always make our guests say that at the end of the pod. It's a great time to be a Carolina Hurricanes fan. Would it be better to be a Hartford Whalers fan? Maybe, but we don't have to go there. Uh, at least we don't play in a mall. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Huge shout out to both those guys for coming on and talking to us a little bit. Um, they gave us some really good stuff, and those were two very fun interviews even though I wasn't even part of one of them. Uh, but anyway, we will not keep this too much longer because we're already probably closing in on an hour, but we are going to talk a little bit about the week that was in Carolina Hurricanes hockey. Um, the win streak was snapped. Uh, it was a tough loss in Detroit. It was a very determined, and it's a young, talented team that I expect to make a lot of noise in the very near future. And when they play like they did last night, I think they would beat a lot of teams. So, yes, you can look at the standings and say, oh, the Hurricanes should have won that game. And I won't disagree with you too hard, but the Hurricanes weren't at their best. Detroit played very well. Sometimes they'd be like that. Um, To my point in the intro, I'm really concerned about Natchez. This slump has been pretty prolonged at this point. Uh, I actually wrote about him a little bit this morning. I did a takeaways piece at the Hockey Writers for last night's game. And Natchez was one of my um, topics in the piece. You know, I I don't really know what the answer is there. You know, Rod Brindamore's comments post-game calling out some guys not pulling their weight. I I feel like that was a subtweet. Um, (laughs) Yes, it was a passive-aggressive comment. He was named without (laughs) being named. Right. Um, Natchez is, is struggling right now, and I think that, you know, a lot of it is confidence. I can, I can tell his effort has been down lately. That's the thing. And, and that, that's the point I made in my article. It's like every player goes through ebbs and flows of puck luck. We saw it with Sveshnikov last year and it snowballed for him and got worse and worse and worse. Right. But with Svesh, I feel like the effort level never wavered. You know, he was still giving his motors pretty much unrelenting. And even when he was having bad puck luck, he was always in the corners battling and he still made a lot of positive things happen. And Natchez isn't the caliber of players Sveshnikov is, so maybe it's not a completely fair comparison. But that play last night, and I wrote about this and in my article today, and I also tweeted about it last night when it happened. But there was a 50-50 puck in the corner, but wasn't even a 50-50 puck. You know, that term doesn't even really fit because Natchez had at least a step or two on Philip Hronik, who was his defensive mark. The puck skitters to the corner and nature's just like very, very nonchalantly hardly goes to the puck. He just kind of like, is like looking around, looking over his shoulder. And before he even looks back at the puck, Peronix by him, picks up the puck and passes out front of Robbie Fabry for what was nearly the go ahead goal. It was one to one at the time. And like plays like that, like just can't happen. Like you can't be that unengaged in the play. So, yeah, I, that's my biggest problem. Like, again, he can not really produce too much the rest of the season, and, and he can still be a net positive player, much like Jordan Stahl was the first half of the year. Natchez has had good defensive moments. Rod's played him on the, on the penalty kill plenty of times. I think he still is. Mm-hmm. He can still have a positive effect on this team. They have enough depth scoring to where he doesn't need to be a 60-point guy right now. But he can't be a – Blair, a glaring negative either yeah and right now I feel like he is I mean I, I wouldn't say that he's he's a negative I mean because every player on the Canes makes turnovers and some are more egregious than others but you know I I'd say that he's he's just kind of neutral right now and that's not good because he's on your second line yeah which is why we saw his ice time drop but, you know, again, this is one of those things where Natchez is good enough to overcome this skill-wise. If he can't get out of this slump and funk, then, you know, then you might have to start questioning some things about his character, right? 
I still think that the calls to trade him are ridiculous. I'm I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna say ridiculous. I, I think it is r- legitimately ridiculous to want to trade a what 23-year-old player who has, you know, 50, 60 point upside. At least. Yeah. Like unless you're getting a player of similar quality and age, you're not gonna win that trade. Yeah. So, you know, I want to keep Natchez. I think that he can get over it. But would you include him as a centerpiece in a trade for Jacob Tickren? No. No? Okay. No. I think you could I think you could make a argument, and I don't know how good of an argument. You could you could argue that Natchez might be worth more than Chikrin. Well, I was gonna say I, I would consider it if, if I'd consider it one else. for one. Yeah, if there's if that's what I was trying to say. If if that was pretty much all there was to the deal, unless Arizona is also sending a forward of some level back, and then you have to add a little bit more. But if it, if it's basically a one for one deal, I, I'd think about it. Because the the problem with that is Natchez. Well, okay, no. The problem with that is you've you've filled a hole on defense and then dug another one at forward. Sure. So you haven't helped the team. I guess that's my issue with it and why I think the Canes would say no. Right. Well, and maybe hypothetically you bump Niederreiter up, I guess, um, and then call up Jack Drury maybe. Um, And then at that point you're just looking for another move probably, but yeah. that, that's just, that's just too much moving parts. And who knows if that deal, you know, if you already have a deal in place, maybe it's one thing, but you don't know, you can't really make that move and not know if another one's going to materialize that's worth making. Yeah. It, you know it, I mean? That's, that's why I think if, if the Canes were to do something like that, like something that drastic, it would be an off season move and not a deadline move. Right. But again, I don't think they do. Yeah. I, I do want to talk about two Three, three positives. I want to talk about three positive things. Um, the first is I think Jalen Chatfield should be here to stay. The second is the Canes fourth line has been excellent lately, getting a ton of chances. And Martinuk this, might be playing the best hockey of his career. Martinuk, Lawrence, and KK have been yeah. phenomenal. Absolutely. As a line all season long, but I feel like especially the past like three or four games. And then the third positive is that was Auntie Ranta's best game as a Carolina Hurricane. It was such a shame they lost because he deserves yeah. so much better. <laughs> he was excellent. Like, that was... And I don't think Ranta's had any particular, like, stinkers this season other than maybe the Florida game. Right. Like, from when we went down, like, 4 nothing in the first period. Right. But I-, I think in terms of quality, that was his best start, period. Um right. But the first, I want to talk about Jalen Chatfield a little bit. I think Jalen Chatfield, I think he's the sixth or seventh defenseman of the future. I mean, they wouldn't have extended him this early if they didn't think he had an NHL future because you're not signing an AHL level player for two years. Right. In my opinion. I think he belongs absolutely. I haven't really seen any holes in his game. Like he's been fine on his own end. He's physical. He's been pretty good jumping into the play. That pass he made to Sveshnikov for that little tic-tac-toe goal in front of the net was a pass that not many defensemen make. They normally shoot that. Um, so, I mean, he's I, – I, I don't want to go too far into this because I, I actually maybe next week want to do a segment about this. I've kind of floated the idea to you a little bit. We're going to wait on a larger sample before we actually go into it, but – we, I won't talk too much more about the defense other than saying that I, I like Chatfield a lot. And I think he's an NHL defenseman. Yeah. I, I think at this point, you know, I mean, he was the Canes best defenseman by a sizable margin last night against Detroit in a game that really wasn't all that good. And regardless, I mean, Chatfield still had a really good game. Obviously, the offense is now lacking on the back end, but I think defensively the team's gotten better. Absolutely. 
with the I mean, addition look at the goal, of Chatfield. Look at the goal scoring totals. It's not like all of a sudden they're scoring one or two goals. Yeah. Got three in every game since D'Angelo went down, right? Uh, they got two against Edmonton, technically three, right. but it didn't count. So okay. they've been putting the puck in the net. And granted, that was a Edmonton looked good that night, like better than I've seen them this season. So mm-hmm. I think the fourth line is going to, some of those chances are going to start going in. It's not going to be a ridiculous save by the goalie or, you know, in that Florida game by a defenseman. I think those chances are going to start going in. Um, Martinook has been really good. And again, I, I would like to point out, and this isn't a dig at you. It's a dig at Kane's Twitter. Because Martinook's never been a bad player. And I feel like he's getting Brock McGinn levels of hate because he got played up too high in the lineup. Well, that was always my qualm, though. It was never Martinook sucks. It was Martinook sucks in that role. <laughs> Again, it's not as dig. Not it's not a dig it. at you. It, it's right. a dig at the people who were like Martinook sucks, right. and then you know, like, no, he's a really good fourth line player. Yes. I also think it's hilarious that we basically like gave up nothing to get him. We gave up Marcus Kruger, and I don't think he played for Arizona. And if he did, he it was not. It came, man. Kruger had a really good Blackhawks career, too. And uh, we I think got, it was, the Hurricanes uh, got him. I was kind of like, that's actually a sneaky good pickup. He's really defensively responsible. He's not going to do anything offensively, but he's a very, yeah. very good shutdown center. And then he just was terrible. Yeah. Uh, it, that was the case of a lot of those Canes moves. Remember when we thought Jay McClement was a decent pickup? <laughs> oh, man. There's Wait, so many players the, like that. That's a Canes deep pickup. cut, man. Yeah, there's, uh, there's, I mean, there's such a long list of like, uh, Stefan Yell. Like, <laughs> I think that was, I think that was the off season we brought in Gerby. I want to say, <laughs> and it was well, either man. that off season or like My one of the years. The Gerber, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it was either that same off season or one of the other off seasons, like either right before it or right after it, where. Jim Rutherford teased like a big free agent signing and we all <laughs> thought it was Yaramir Yager and it turned out to be Ron freaking Hainsey. <laughs> oh uh, man. Good times here in Kane's country. <sighs> so, you know, I, I want to, I want to be optimistic about the Canes. And I, I also will say I'm happier that they're playing well against the playoff teams to the point where if they drop the occasional one to a non-playoff team, I'm cool with it. It beats the hell out of the inverse, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like they're to, smoking to me, every bottom feeder, but then every time they played a Washington or a Pittsburgh, they got smoked. Like, yeah. To me, what matters more is the fact that the Canes beat the Penguins. They beat the Predators. They beat the um, uh, Bruins. They beat the shit out of the Bruins this <laughs> yeah. year. That's right. <laughs> they outscored them 16 to one. Yeah. Like that, those three games mean more to me than any of the games against the Detroits, the Sabres, the, you know, those types of teams this year. As they should. And I mean, even the Rangers game, like they smoked them too. Six, three. Oh like yeah. It was the Rangers. Of- yeah. Yeah, that's and the Rangers again, one now, of the but... top teams in the Metro. Right. Now, I, I will say this game Thursday is going to be a big test. I don't want to keep us too long because I know both of our interviews were really solid. Um, I will say that you know this game against the Capitals is a big one because the Caps are struggling lately. They've lost like six of their last six games, either at home or just in general. And I wondered how the hell the Hurricanes are like suddenly have this nice little cushion with their game. Yeah, Sam Samsonov has forgotten how he's like Carter hearted himself. Love that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you hate to see the Capitals not doing well. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's 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 the big thing is this week. This week's gonna be a couple big tests. I think you've got Washington and Pittsburgh, I want to say, and yeah, a back to back. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a hell of a back to back. And then, then you've got, one. just win one. Yeah. You've got Seattle on uh Sunday too. Okay. 
win that. Well, game. we we Please. lost we lost <laughs> Seattle the first time, so that's what I'm saying. Please win that game. Like it's at home, right? <laughs> Seattle. So we're gonna keep it short with this section, and this is actually coming on at the end. So we appreciate y'all for for sticking around for these two interviews. Again, shout outs to Nathan and Ronan for two phenomenal interviews. Um, well, the one I was part of anyway. Nathan was Nathan. Like I can assure you, you haven't listened to it yet. But I by know. the time you finish editing it, like, he's a really, really great person to talk to. Um, Maybe we'll have him back on at the end of the year so I can chat with him as well. <laughs> yeah, like. After UMass hoists the national, national championship yeah. this year, we'll get to talk to him about Scott Morrow and Lucas Mercury again. Ronan, phenomenal interview. I didn't realize that all five of his siblings played hockey, or all five of you know the Sealy children, I guess, played hockey. Um, the brothers and sisters Sealy. Yeah, right. So you know, great interview, great person. We're wishing the best for all of our prospects, and obviously, we want to see all of them succeed. But that's going to love all my children equally. I mean, prospects. Yes, right. (laughs) That's what we're going to do. Next time, we'll kind of bring it back to, um, you know, being more Canes related. And folks, as always, wait, no. (laughs) Sorry. We actually remembered to get a guest to say it this time. It's a great time to be a Carolina Hurricanes fan.